This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. All right, Mara, how's it going? Bit of a strange way to start the show this week, but I am going to start the show with the uh, sea shanty that I wrote, the Wellerman style sea shanty that I wrote. It's been all over the social medias. If you are sick of the Wellerman song, I suggest that you skip forward exactly a minute and 30 seconds from now. Okay, so that's it. Uh, if you don't want to hear the Wellerman song, you should have hit skip already. Uh, this is my version of the Wellerman song, which features a season review of how Carlisle United have been doing so far. So without further ado, here it is, the uh, so far season review sea shanty from the Blue Army podcast. There once was a team from Bronton Park and the name of the team was the Blue Army. They didn't get off to the best of starts. Now listen to the Pardick moan. <laughs> Soon oh, then the, the signings came with Furman farming and then it's all claimed. And finally our form was turned around when Mellis started scoring goals. <laughs> we had not played ten games or more when the eye follow attendance soared. The quality was poor and the commentary worse. Let James Phillips go. Huh? Soon, Soon then the winters came. And Carlisle started missing games Once we were on top of the league Now listen to the paddock moan Or <laughs> the boat could hit the water United's form turned into torture No wins in eight meant we sank down to the league pretty low <laughs> Soon then the saviour came with Aussie Controlling games Finally the team had won Let's, Let's see, see how, how the season, season goes, goes. We all read then, Mara. Let's get things kicked off and started properly. Obviously, you've got all the favourite things to look forward to. Two match reviews, two match previews, a little bit of news. Uh, we've got a surprise debutant guest, and uh, at the end of the show, he'll be introducing the loud and local feature, our new feature, which was debutised last week when we had my little brother play their song Janie for us. Um, I'm making it sound like they came into the studio and did it live. That's not how it really happened. Um, <coughs> they sent me an MP3 and I played that on the show because COVID means we can't go anywhere. And Before I start going down divergent tangents and talking about nonsense, I think it's time for the Blue Army podcast, Joke of the Week. 
Does he have another laugh? I think he's trying to. It's the Blue Army Podcast. Joke of the week. Are you ready for this one? I'm nervous this week. Right. What is a goalkeeper's favourite snack? Beans on post. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I let you down this week, didn't I? A goalkeeper's favourite snack. Beans on post. I mean, it is technically it's, it's technically a pun still. We're in the right ballpark. It's a football-themed joke. I'm not going to beat myself up too much up about that one. Uh, but we are going to move on. Uh, I'm going to introduce you in a couple of minutes to our debutant guest. Jamie Jackson will be joining us from the Prawn Sandwich podcast just after the uh, PA Media's match report. And then me and Jamie will be talking about everything that happened between Carlisle and Stevenage. That's going to be a bit of a slog, isn't it? And I can't obviously forget the lovely, lovely uh, Wills will be coming back to join us towards the end of the show uh, to talk about everything that happened against Late Orient and possibly some news and a look ahead to the fixtures that we'll obviously be reviewing this time next week. All right, let's do this. Your Carlisle United lineup for the game against Stevenage is as follows. Norman in goal for the second game in a row. Tanner, Bennett, McDonald and Armour across the back. Riley, Guy and Mellish in the midfield. Dickinson, Zanzala and Toure up front. I'm going to continue stealing the match reports which are done by PA Media. Second half goals from Luke Norris and Arthur Reed proved the difference makers as Stephen Edge saw off 10-man Carlisle 3-1 at the Lamech Stadium. After a relatively even start, things took a turn for the worse for the visitors just past the 15-minute mark when Rod McDonald was sent off for pulling down Elliot Lift when through on goal. Stevenage soon took advantage with Tom Pett's creative finish from a corner kick, flicking the ball up to himself before volleying home on the turn. Yeah, it was a good shot. Uh, From there, the game was mostly one-way traffic, but the visitors got the next goal. Brennan Dickinson with a neat turn on the edge of the box before unleashing a curling effort that got a slight deflection past the outstretched arm of Jamie Cunnings. I wouldn't say that it was one-way traffic on the build-up to the goal. I would say Stevenage probably took their foot off the uh, off the accelerator after they scored the goal. And uh, they came out into the second half still with their foot off the accelerator. If anything, Carlisle's goal was the thing to jab him in the arm and uh, turn the style back on. But more about that later. The home side were able to pull away through Norris's fierce shot from the edge of the box on the hour mark. And then Reed ended any chances of a comeback with a neat finish from Elliot Osborne's ball through 19 minutes from time. Elliot Osborne had two assists on the day, uh, both of them very decisive through balls. But we're going to discuss more about that Um now, really, with uh, the debutante uh, guest, which is Jamie Jackson, who is joining me from the Prawn Sandwich Podcast. That is take two. 
That is the deputante guest, otherwise known as Jamie Jackson, who is coming to us from the Prawn Sandwich podcast. Usually a Sunderland fan, but a very keen football analyst. And uh, he has watched the Carlisle United Stevenage game for us, and he's going to give us his opinion on the match. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's crack on with that. Right, it's lovely to have Jamie Jackson with me today on the Blue Army podcast, joining us from the Prawn Sandwich. As I've mentioned, he is more than qualified to talk about <laughs> League Two football, being a Sunderland fan. Jamie, how are you today? How are you getting on, mate? Kind words there. Thanks for the introduction. I'm good, mate. Uh, thanks for having us on. Absolute pleasure, man. Absolute pleasure. Uh, I've put a lot of weight on your shoulders, I think, with that introduction. So we're expecting some quite in-depth analysis from you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, I'm, I'm more into watching old football than uh, current football, to be fair. I'm a proper nos- nostalgia fiend, but uh, uh, I watch, watch the highlights and whatnot, so I'll do as best to, do as best I can. And it's all appreciated at the end of the day, because we're not paying you a wage. <laughs> <laughs> Right, I'll dive in, mate. I'll dive in. And uh, to be fair, Carlisle United dived into the game in under 60 seconds. We had a chance. Uh, there was an overlap on the right-hand side. George Tanner put a cross in. And uh, Jimmy Tiore had two chances to swipe at the ball in the first minute. He tried to hit it with his right foot. And then he uh, sort of like bumbled his head towards it <laughs> like like a fish out of water uh it made me think that we were going to get off to a very good start what about you Jamie it was quite uh quite misleading the start to the game wasn't it it was a great chance to be fair that you, you'll have to forgive me for players name knowledge but the lad that cut back and put the ball in on it on his left foot and I thought the striker should have done better with the chance created there defender done well getting a foot on it mind but still there was a couple like you say, that I'd had two snaps at the ball to try and make a goal from it. Could have done better with the header when that flicked up. As I say, the defender's touch probably made it a bit harder to adjusting to get a shot away from the ground, but just kind of fluffed at the header, didn't he, when, uh, from the rebound? For me, Jamie, and I know you don't watch Carlisle every week the way that I do, so I'm going to share a little bit of uh, insider knowledge with you here. Uh, Jimmy Tiore, the guy who missed the opportunity, he doesn't get to play week in, week out for the team. So when opportunities like that do come across, you can see a little bit of rust in the players. And I think it was just a lack of games, a lack of minutes that kind of made him just sort of like hash at the opportunity. But it wasn't as easy and as straightforward as it maybe looked, I suppose. Um, The camera angles aren't very good at this uh, level of the game. You don't really get any kind of close-up um, or you don't get any kind of like flip-reverse views. So it is, it is quite harsh to criticise, but he should have, he should have done better in, in, in that circumstance. And it was uh, Tanner who put the ball in, who did well to get down uh, in the early stages. He did, he, he did great, so, that Tanner, to get, that, to get the ball across, cutting back on his left foot. But uh, if that striker's not been playing much and he's, he's not got that match sharpness about him, that... that Makes sense as to why it was uh, he snapped at the chances. To be fair, yeah, exactly. So that was only that was only sixty seconds in, and uh, on my notes, to be honest, mate, it was a bit of a fifty-fifty game. Not a lot of clear-cut chances, and then the ball went through in the eighteenth minute, and Rod McDonald brought down his man. The guy just kind of ran across the front of him, and McDonald stuck out a leg and just tripped him. It was very quick. 
the way the red card came out, the referee was very confident that it was a red card. Carlisle's protests were few and far between. Rod McDonald went straight off the pitch when he got his red card. I think it was a red card, Jamie. I really do. When I've looked at it in, in, in retrospect, it looks like a red card. What do you think about that red card? You can't argue with it, really. Last man, it was it was clear goal-scoring opportunity. After It was a great through ball by, by the Stevenage player to send him away, um, just cut the defence wide open and... Just a silly, silly challenge, really. Like whether you, whether it's like accidental or not, you're gonna go. So you, you've just got to try and trust your goalkeeper in that situation. I think because um, get, getting getting sent off, you're always gonna be sent off when you when you're clipping the the striker in through and goal when you're last man. Uh, 18 minutes in, you're leaving your teammates with a hell of a battle after that. But you, nah, there was no no argument at all whether it was a red card or not. 100% a red. I, I agree with that. It was 100% a red. In the post-match interview afterwards, Chris Beach, the Carlisle United manager, had had no um, qualms about it. He was very straightforward that on, on that was definitely a red card, even though he did have a few things to say about the referee's performance. But we'll get to that. So the way Carlisle play, Jamie, we like to play a 4-3-3 formation. And when we come up against a team that maybe plays a 4-5-1 or a 4-2-2, we can become wanting in the midfield uh, there's a, they've got a man extra or maybe two men extra in the midfield and if we're not executing our long ball game and managing to hold the ball in the top half of the pitch then we can go missing in the midfield and I think on this performance we did go wandering and it, Osborne, the, uh, the midfielder who put through the ball he did it twice in this game he got two assists, he got the first goal and the last goal um, sorry, this wasn't an assist, was it? It was for a penalty, uh, for a red card. But you, you understand uh, what I'm barking up. There's a lot of room in Carlisle's midfield areas. There's pockets that keep appearing. And we keep getting undone. We got undone against Morecambe because they were pulling the strings from the midfield. And we got undone against Stevenage on this occasion because I feel that the midfield, when you play a 4-3-3 against a 4-2-2 or a 4-5-1, you're going to go missing in those games which are predominantly four in the middle of the park. You know, League Two games can be scrappy and that game was definitely fought a lot in the middle of the park and when we lost our player, we, we were losing uh, our foothold I think when you play a 4-3-3, especially in like sort of League One, League Two level, one of your two wide men of that front three has to drop back in midfield when you're out of possession. At all times, like we we play, we've played it a lot at Sunderland over the past couple of seasons, and um, like it tends to be McGeady will stay up and won't really come back and get involved as much. But whoever like Lyndon Gooch, safe on the other side, will come back in and make the midfield a four as opposed to a three. And I, th- I think it's imperative in the lower divisions that you do that because most most teams will pack the midfield in the lower in the lower divisions. Um, is that is that from watching Sunderland? Sunderland play a lot of four three three at the moment. Uh yeah. We have since we've got since since we've got to league since we got relegated in League One, even under Jack Ross and uh, well, I won't talk much about Phil Parkinson because I couldn't make sense of anything he was doing. But um, especially under Jack Ross in that first season in League One, we played a lot of four three three. It looks like you're getting the most out of Charlie White with that formation at the moment. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Since we brought Big Edie back into the side um, he's, been, he's set up like 15 of Charlie White's goals or something it just, just crosses into the box wow. get wide we've got another winger called Jordan Jones on load from Rangers and uh, just utilising wingers it's basically it's the bread and butter of League 1 and League 2 isn't it wingers putting it into the box for, for a big striker yeah. 
But we've well digressed from Carlisle versus Stephen Achilla. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what? Now we're going down this tangent. Sunderland Till I Die on Netflix was maybe the, my favourite thing that I watched during the first lockdown. I watched um, all both the two seasons of it during the first lockdown. And it does seem that Aidan McGeady was one of those players... If you're a manager that maybe wants to work with a younger team, you don't necessarily want his opinions on the training ground. So I can see why Phil Parkinson maybe did what he did. When you've got these kind of players at your disposal, use them. <laughs> that, 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 nah, that theory only works when you actually play the kids, though. Like, Phil Parkinson said that he, like players like Ed McGeady weren't going to play because he wanted to bring young players through. And then went and didn't play any young players and signed, like, a 35-year-old Danny Graham on a free. Other players that are, like, the wrong side of 30 that young players aren't going to get in ahead of, these, uh, ahead of these ones that he's bringing in his own signings. So it was ju- just, like, a bullshit excuse on Phil Parkinson's part. I thought it was just a case of trying to stamp his authority. I'm, I'm like, Ed McGeady is a big influence around the place. So I'm going to show him who's boss kind of thing. But like mm. on those um, Netflix, especially the championship one on the Netflix seasons when we went down, McGeady's mentality, like when I've read interviews with him and stuff like outside of those documentaries, his frustration was that other players just, they were happy with mediocrity, if you know what I mean. Like they weren't pushing to be better and he couldn't get his head around it. Like if you think about the time when he came from a Celtic, Celtic were absolutely flying. Like they were getting to the latter stages of the Champions League and stuff under Martin O'Neill and uh, Gordon Strachan at the time. So for him to come in, he's coming through a team at Celtic that had like Henry Larson playing for them, who uh, went on to play for Barcelona even in the later years of his career, mm-hmm. and is being told by like people that have never played higher than League One that like they're happy where they are. He like. He's not going to get his head around that. He's got something like 15 assists since Christmas. He's only played half a season. Um, right, I'm going to swing us back round into the game analysis now, Jamie. As we left it, Sound. we were talking about Rad McDonald being sent off. And then we were talking a little bit about the differences between a 4-2-2 formation playing against a 4-3-3 and the way that those gaps can appear in the middle of the park. Um, so... Carlisle had Rod McDonald sent off. The resulting free kick uh, was was saved, but it was only uh, three minutes after that, five minutes after that, when Stevenage got their opening goal, really, from a corner. Uh, it was uh, swung into the front post, the corner. Improvisingly, technically fantastic move from the, uh, from the striker that took it. I don't think the corner was supposed to arrive at his feet like that. I don't think it was an organised move. I think, it was a, I think it was a poorly taken corner <laughs> and it was really well improvised by, by Tom Pett. I think chipped it up with his left foot, turned round and smashed it with his right foot past the keeper. Really well taken goal, Jamie. What did you think of that goal? Yeah, it was. He, he, he took it really well. Um, quite enjoyed watching it to be honest it was a great technique as you say the corner was a bit of a poor delivery uh, but did he, he, got, he showed good initiative to take a touch and set it up don't know whether that touch was a deliberate one to set him up for the volley mind but he maybe, he maybe got a little bit lucky with that but yeah he took took the goal well yeah, lovely it was, goal it was well taken after that you would have thought that maybe Stevenage would have sniffed a bit of blood and went for a bit of killer instinct but actually they took the foot off the gas and we went into half time uh, with Stevenage winning just by one goal to nil. And when we came out for the second half, it looked like Chris Beach had really fired up his team. And uh, we found an equaliser. 
not too far into the second half, which gave me a lot of hope as a Carlisle fan, obviously. I was thinking at that moment, hang on, we could steal something here. This would be decent, this. Um, it was like an effort from Brennan Dickinson. Zanzala was running through with the ball. So Zanzala's the, uh, the attacker for Carlisle United. He was running through with the ball. He was stopped by the Stevenage defence. Dickinson was the first man to react. He picked the ball up. He was twisting, turning, and then when he turned, he managed to hit it with his left foot very sweetly, and it it found itself in the bottom corner. And almost out of nowhere, just a little bit of belief, Dickinson had dragged Carlisle back into the game. What did you think of that? He he took the finish well, to be fair. Like I wrote on there, like he's uh, he's, he's done well to squeeze it in. What one shot on target and one goal in the game is uh, <laughs> fair play. Yeah, to that him. was it. The whole first half, Carlisle went without a shot on target. But that goal put the fire back <laughs> into Stevenage Borough's engine, as it were. Two minutes after Carlisle got the equaliser, Norman was forced into making a really good save for only. A couple of minutes after that, when Stevenage found their goal, really, um, it wasn't a badly taken experience from old man Norris. Just sort of um, the ball ended up at his feet and, and, and he used his power and he smashed it home. The build up to the goal itself, though, there was there was a ball that was lofted into the air, a clearance from Carlisle, and it was brought down at the edge of the D. And I thought there was a suspicion of handball there um, in the build-up to the goal, Jamie. I don't know if you spotted the uh, suspicion of the suspicion of handball in the build-up to the goal, but the goal itself was well taken by Norris, showing his experience. What did you think about that one? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't quite notice the the shout for handball, but it was. Uh, I, th- I, th- I think the build-up to that goal just epitomised League Two football. To be fair, there was a lot of like half-hearted clearances. And to be fair, similar to League One standard as well, it's uh, half-hearted clearances, um, lofting into the air, as you say. Um, the uh, I, th- I thought the keeper could maybe have reacted a bit better as well. Um, he just just kind of stood there and let him go, like go across him to the far like far side. Uh, thought thought the keeper could maybe have at least made an attempt, but. To be fair, the keeper, he Northern did make a few good saves in this match. to be our second-choice goalkeeper. Paul uh, Farman took a hit uh, before the last game. Uh, Norman was brought in sort of last minute. But Farman was on the bench for this game, the, so our first choice. So it was interesting to see that he was well enough to sit on the bench this week, but he wasn't well enough to sit on the bench on Tuesday. Um, so maybe Norman was preferred this time I don't like to talk about goalkeepers Jamie because the last time we talked about goalkeepers I jinxed it and that's why we've ended up with Norman and Nets <laughs> talk too, we talked too much about it and we, we jinxed it um, <laughs> let's have a look Stevenage kept pushing for a cushion against the Carlisle team that were cutting a frustrated figure and the pressure was rewarded with another goal um, Osborne the provider again in that midfield finding a, a lovely ball into Reed was actually that was his debut goal for Stevenage so good for Reed uh, I'll give him a pat on the shoulder you know it always means a lot to a player to get his first goal for a club um, and then Steven, Stevenage just saw the game out quite easily after that to be honest um, it was a good goal it was well taken uh, Osborne showing great vision again classy finish from Reed what more can you say about it mate yeah I know I was just basically covered it there it was a lovely finish Got himself into a small one-on-one situation. Just a nice little left foot play shot. Basically through the keeper. Feel a bit bad like criticising the keeper at all. Because as I say, he did make three or four decent saves during this game. Um, I'm just like re-watching the goal there. So he, could've, he probably could have done better with that one as well. But 
Can't take anything away from a debut goal for Stevie. Yeah, so like I said, after that, Carlisle didn't really do much. Uh, They look like a very defeated side. I know you don't watch Carlisle a lot, Jamie. If not, this might be the first game that you've watched Carlisle play this season. But I've never seen us cut such a frustrated figure on the pitch. Tiore, who had that minute in, uh, who had that chance in the first minute, he was taken off when Rod McDonald got the red card to sort of like be the sacrifice. So we brought on another defender and we sacrificed Torre. So Torre has made like a three and a half hour journey to Stevenage. He hasn't done a thing wrong and he's had to be substituted off. His body language, he looked very disappointed. He kicked off some water bottles, kicked over some training cones. So that kind of started, you know, a visibly... Uh, frustrated Carlisle and then later on in the game I think when John Mellish was substituted off he had a little bit of a tantrum as well so you could see for the first time that Carlisle were getting a bit naggy at each other really not necessarily the um, the professionalism that we expect in defeat that we've had during this bad run of form it looks like it's coming to sort of like a climax at the moment Carlisle uh, in the last 10 games have only won one uh, so it looks like there's a lot of frustrations bottling up here at Carlisle. Did you notice any sort of tension between players, maybe? Yeah, I, th- I think you just got to put that down to like frustration, like especially in a particular game like this. You've had, you've had a player sent off on 18 minutes, so that just to- that's a very early, very early time in the game to have to totally rejig a game plan. And unfortunately, for that, they've got some, some sacrifices have to be made. Nobody ever wants to go off in that situation, but... you. You you need to get another defender on at the end of the day. But when you when you look at the stats of the game, like you're saying about the other lads um, having a not not looking too happy about getting subbed, but they've just had a game of chasing shadows basically. Like they've only had thirty two possession thirty two percent possession in the match. The passing accuracy hasn't been particularly up to scratch. It's a full afternoon where you where you're just on the back foot. There's there's going to be frustrations. You'd like to think that after the game they've all had it out with each other in the in the changing room at the end of the day the professional sportsman like that's like just how it should be like get it all get it all out in the open all frustrations with each other but on the on what you said there about your poor run of form I think that can stem back from when you know when you had you had a few games postponed due to Covid yes. didn't you and there was uh, also like the weather at a time so you were flying before then and I, I remember I said it on our podcast actually at the time that you know, as football supporters, when you see you've got a handful of games in hand, you automatically give yourself them points. You're like, oh, well, we'll win that one, we'll win that one, and we'll be like right back into the playoffs. When really, you you want those games played. You, you don't want to end up with a backlog of games that you need to squeeze in because you're playing then every Saturday. You're playing most Saturdays and Tuesdays anyway at this level. And then to have to play an extra like Saturday and Tuesday each week, you, you could end up playing like 10 games over the course of four weeks and it's it's not good and especially after having what six weeks off from from not actually playing a game it, it's definitely messed up your season like I I genuinely thought you were in a great chance of going up up until all those postponements happened and then like def- worried for you then because I was also worried that Sunderland and Carlisle would actually be playing each other in a league game next season <laughs> we can't <laughs> and, leave Barrow uh, behind <laughs> I, I I wouldn't have looked forward to that. I don't I don't mind the odd cup game, but I didn't want us to be in the same league. Ah, uh, oh, no, I'm joking. It would be great to see us go up. It would be great for the region because there's a real buzz about the place when when Carlisle are doing well. Um, for a small for a small club, 
and a small town, like it's got quite a good following in terms of local fan base. They uh, do, they sure. do sort of like reflect. They do reflect the mood of the town quite well. I feel like um, because there's such a there's such a large majority in the city that do support the team when they win or lose. Um, you know, it, it affects it affects the mentality of the entire city almost. You know, because there's enough people that are in that are involved in the football club. Sorry, did I cut in on you there? What were you about to say? No, no, it's fine. No, it's fine. I, I totally agree. I, don't, I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, a city with a population of between 100 and 120 thousand. When Carlisle are doing well and doing really well, they're getting like eight thousand, nine thousand going to Burton Park on a regular basis. Okay. Like when they were in when they were in League One. When they were in League One and the lost in the playoffs to Leeds that season, when they really should have went up automatically back in two thousand and eight, two thousand nine, whenever it was, mm-hmm. um, getting a lot of fans going to the games. He's had a really good side back then with Danny Graham and Joe Garner um, playing up front together. But that just shows. I mean, he's got to a couple of um, EFL Trophy finals over those couple of years as well, and I mean, twenty thousand fans like going down. And yeah, there'll be a few day trippers and that as well. But like the core, the core will always yeah, go. That, that... There's, uh, there's potential there because it is a, quite a secluded place, Carlisle. There's nothing like right nearby. Yeah, there's a lot of like Man United and Liverpool fans like kicking around the city and stuff. But a lot of them will still like go to Carlisle games and that because it's like hard to get to games like that. So there, there is a good following, Carlisle, for the size of club. Yeah, I feel like Carlisle is like is 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 quite similar to wrestling in the way that um, it peaks in popularity and then dies. And certain generations like it, and then all the generations, all the generations <laughs> tell the younger generations about what it was like in their day and the people that used to play for them in their day. And there's this nice sort of like crossover that happens in the city. But it takes a good run of form to hook that new generation in, if you know what I mean. It takes a it takes a Rock or a Brock Lesnar or a Steve Austin. You know, it ta- it takes that new person. It takes the it takes the winning <laughs> it takes the winning mentality, the winning form to get the next generation in. And this good run of form did help uh, build up interest. And like you say, in the playoff pushes in two thousand and eight, because we were just on the back of back to back promotions going into those seasons, back to back promotions and uh, a trip, like you said, to the uh, the EFL trophy final at Cardiff and then I think we uh, no both times at Cardiff during that period we didn't miss out on Wembley during that time but uh, I think also the club was run really well by Fred Story at that time and he was really good at the community outreach side of owning the football club and giving free tickets to primary schools and giving free tickets to competition winners and just you know helping giving away 400, 400 free tickets every week meant we had an extra 5% in the in the ground, which you know, it does it does make a large contribution to the atmosphere. I was going to make about the Stevenage game is that um, in the post match interview, Chris Beach was blaming the referee for a couple of his decisions throughout the game. I don't necessarily think that the referee had a terrible performance compared to some of the referees that we've seen at this level recently. Do you think that's just maybe a little bit of frustration from Chris Beach and that's just the person he's decided to zero in on criticism rather than having a go at his team this time around? Nah, not really. Like, could <laughs> I have no good opinion of any referee at League 1, League 2 level. They're awful. They are. They're absolutely awful. I know it's a tough job, but I just... Some of the decisions that you see across the board are absolutely shocking. And... 
I mean, the red card for me in this game was a red card, but... One of my guests last week made a really good point about a lot of the referees at this level have been promoted to do the VR in the Premier League. So we've got this, like, missing gap now of, like, referees that were decent because they're not, I'm not, they're not here anymore. They've gone up to the Premier League to go and sit at whatever VR room and things like that. That, that, would, that would make sense. Like, because there's got to be some explanation as to why, like, some of the calls are so bad. Like, as as I said, like, I'm not disputing the red card, but if there's been other other decisions in the game that Beaches maybe thought of haven't been right, then I've not I've I have no reason not to support him on that because as I, as I just said, referees in these lower levels are, are shocking. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jamie, thank you very much for joining me for the match review for the Carlisle United versus Stevenage game, mate. Um, and we all know by now you're not a Carlisle fan, you are a Sunderland fan, so it wouldn't have been uh, all the fun in the world for you to have sat through this one. But um, can you say <laughs> that you enjoyed it. yourself at least, just for me to, yeah, just for a sound bite? <laughs> oh, yeah, nah, I did. T- enjoyed myself. It was a pleasure, mate. Thanks for having us on. Well, thank you very much, Jamie Jackson from the Poor Own Sandwich Podcast for coming in and talking to me, uh, sitting through what was a terrible defeat for Carlisle in that 3-1 defeat to Stevenage. Things didn't get much better for us during the week as we went on to lose against Late Norient, and that's what's next up. Me and Wills are going to talk all about the Late Norient game. But first, you know what it's time for. It's time for the PA Media Match Report. And then me and Will will dissect the game. And we'll probably just keep powering through and end up talking about the Cambridge and Crawley Town matches. And if there's any news worth talking about, we'll cover that as well as, um, as, as looking ahead. But for now, here's your match report for the Carlisle game against Late Norient. All right, I'm sure it won't take long. And your Carlisle United lineup for the game against Late Norian is as follows. Farman returns in goals. Armour, Bennett, Hayden and Anderton at the back. Guy, Furman, Mellish in the midfield with Torre, Zanzala and Alessandra up front. This is what PA Media had to say about the game last night. Connor Wilkinson's dramatic late lob stretched Late Norian's unbeaten run to four games with a 1-0 win. At Carlisle, pretty accurate so far. Carlisle keeper Paul Farman was caught in no man's land when attempting to clear Lawrence Vigorox's long ball as Wilkinson lobbed him in the 88th minute to steal all three points at Brunton Park. Oh, sorry about that, I proper stumbled over that name. Vigorox's long ball. Anyway... And defeat stretched Chris Beach's side worrying run of form to just one win in their last 12 games. Carlisle's Callum Guy saw an early free kick fizz past the post. Striker Danny Johnson had Orient's first chance of the game as he forced Farman into an early save. That was a good save from a, uh, a strong volley, I believe, from just outside the area. Down the other end, Rhys Bennett headed off target before John Mellish fired straight at Vigorox. After the break, Farman made a great scrambling save to tip Daniel Kemp's in-swinging corner over the bar. 
Johnson, who was uncharacteristically gone 10 games without a goal, saw his late lob go wide. But Wilkinson made no mistake as he took advantage of Farman's error in judgment late on in the game. Right, well, that is the match report by PA Media. And this is what me and Wills thought of the game. Well then, well then, well then, well then, Wills is back with me on the Blue Army podcast. Wills, thank you so much for joining me again. I feel like I just keep knocking on your door uh, repeatedly and we have to just talk about really bad results and awkward football being played. Uh, (laughs) What do you really think about that last result, mate? What do you really think about Carlisle versus Leighton Orient? Because I just can't cope at the moment. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to start paying me if you keep wanting me to come on after a defeat like that. Um, It was... (laughs) It it just feels a bit like same old, same old at the moment. Uh, We're seeing the same kind of mistakes, gaming, game out. For a while, it was giving away silly penalties and free kicks. Now, it just seems to be goalkeeper issues and... It's kind of these are things that weren't issues earlier in the season as well, where we just keep finding new ways to lose games. But you, you know, you go into every game expecting us to get beat now. I really do think that uh, we we don't look good going into any game. We we are fancied to lose almost every time we turn up. The problems were kind of the same as as, as they were uh, as they have been previously. A lot of aimless long balls once again, unfortunately. Zanzala was chasing ghosts for most of the game, but he was one of the highlights for the team. He, he, for me, that was that was a man of the match performance as far as our eleven go on the night. He never wanted to give up. He was constantly believing he was going to get an opportunity. He did force a couple of opportunities, sort of out of nothing, just chasing nowhere balls, which on a night like this against Leighton Orient, could have been the difference makers. But unfortunately, it just wasn't to be his night on that particular night. What do you think about uh, Zanzala's performance against Leighton Orient compared to his fellow strike partners? Yeah, I can't really fault Zanzala at all for last night. Um, I don't think he had many clear-cut chances, and that's not really his fault. He looked positive, and I like the way he goes about, you know, he's hungry... He, there was one chance he took was a, a really nice little spin and shoot, and it was a decent shot. It was a bit difficult to pull off, and the goalkeeper uh, was able to catch it. Um, the other two up front with him, Alessandra. I mean, Alessandra never looks that effective on the wing because he likes to pass it around, and when you put him on the wing, it means that half half of the three sixty circle around him is being cut off so he's only got like 180 degree radius or whatever that he can actually pass it into um jimmy toure i i mean i always like his work rate and the fact that he he can just make something out of nothing um and i think sometimes Sometimes you look at the other players around him and say like they're not actually getting into positions and he gets the ball to the byline and there's there's no one kind of waiting for it. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't... 
wasn't an it wasn't a great performance from either him or Alessandra. I don't know if you kind of uh, touch on this in your review, but you know, uh, no substitutions at all made during the, uh, yesterday's match. You know, you think like that's very we, strange. Yeah, I mean, we've got a squad. You know, we haven't just got kind of players on the bench who you wouldn't want to bring on. We've got like Amari Patrick sort of sat there on the bench. Uh, Joe Riley was on the bench as well. Yeah, you're kind of like surprised that, you know, things didn't seem to be working. You know, we weren't playing well, even though it was nil-nil. You're surprised that Chris Beach doesn't think we should give some of them a chance. I feel like our formation once again left us wanting. Playing a 4-3-3 when you've got three strikers that don't score enough goals. Alessandra doesn't get enough shots on goal for me. I don't necessarily think that that's his role. But when you've got three attackers up front, I think Alessandra maybe has one effort a game where he sort of gets through and he hasn't scored in, what, like nine? And it's the same, it's, it's similar. Toure's got about one in the last ten. Zanzala's obviously gone on a little bit of form recently. He's, got, he's just got one, yeah. yeah. Toure scored the equaliser against Forest Green and that was his one. That was it, yeah. Uh, it's just not fruitful enough to be playing three people up front and them not to be scoring enough goals. So you've got to be thinking about changing formation or working on this formation because Zanzala should not be in that much space on his own on those occasions when he picks the ball up Alessandra is 30 yards away from him Toure is 30 yards away from him on the other side and they need to be closer to him he needs somebody closer to him where he can just sort of tee the ball off to them and then carry on running because he can be a difference maker he can get on the ball and change possession out of out of these pathetically over-the-top kind of aimless balls that the defenders are, are making him feed off. And on the occasions that he does get there, and he does get the ball, Toure's nowhere near him, Alessandra's nowhere near him, and neither is anyone else. And it's just, it's not good enough. It's really not good enough. The support around Zanzala was not good enough last night, and it hasn't been probably since Zanzala sort of got into the team. They expect him just to bully, and he does that really well with his strength. He bullies defenders. And then they're expecting him to, what, ping a 20-yard ball into the right or the left channel or either play it back into the midfield and carry on running. And that's not Zanzala's game. Zanzala's not a pass-and-run, pass-and-run kind of player. He's a target man. Um, He wants the ball either in his chest, on his feet. He wants to hold his man off and he wants to turn and he wants to hit it. He doesn't doesn't want to be, you know, making these runs in behind the the defenders. It's not necessarily his game. He likes running at the defenders with the ball at his feet. That's what he likes doing. He's very strong and he wants to establish himself and he's more than capable of doing it at this level. But there wasn't enough support around Zanzala at all and for having three strikers on the pitch and in the last game against Stevenage, not one shot on target in 45 minutes with three strikers on the pitch. You know, it's just not, it's just not good enough, mate. I mean... I guess someone got sent off against Stevenage, yeah. but it's just not... Should we try... Um... Go on, yeah. sorry. Go on, what have you got? <laughs> Shall we try Zanzala and Mellish as a front two? Well, I actually want to put Mellish... <laughs> right, here's what I would do, Will. If, if if you handed me the Carlisle team right now, here's what I would do, okay? I would play, yeah. five, I'd play five across the back. I'd have Armour and Tanner on either wings. I'd have three across the middle, 
Bennett, Mellish and Hayden. Mellish was supposed to be signed up as a centre-back when it began with. If you put him in a back five and tell him that he can pass the ball, play with the ball, come forward on occasion, I think that would be a really good position for Mellish to sort of be just in front of the back four. Then I'll put three in the midfield and I'll put two up front and I'll have probably Zanzala with Scott up front with Chedwin Scott because the reputation that Chedwin Scott has got is that he can find the back of the net from all kinds of positions he picks the ball up and he just naturally knows how to score the goal and if you've got someone like Zanzala running at defenders and causing mayhem Scott can be right next to him picking the ball up when it comes loose and slotting it home at least that's that's where my brain's at at the moment mate that's that's my football manager head Mm. I'm thinking that's the way I would go forward I'd drop Mellish back into the defence to sort of be the be the be the starting force of most attacking moves, the focal point, you know. And if it's not Mellis, then it's Furman or it's Guy. All of them can get pushed back into that little anchoring role in the midfield uh, slash defence. It'll strengthen our defence up, and it'll give the strikers an actual partnership rather than just going wandering. I mean, what would you do, Will? What would you do, mate? I don't. I feel like if if Mellish's future was at the back. He might not have got kept on last season. I, I, I don't know if he kind of like has ever looked much more than a than a backup centre half. It's a little bit tongue in cheek of me to suggest that we try him up front, but at the same time, you know, when you're talking about having somebody who kind of runs beyond players and kind of gets into position, that's kind of what Mellish has been doing this season, and. He's, he's been doing some stuff in midfield, but not nearly as much as he does up front. And at times, a missing player in midfield, in that he doesn't really play there. He kind of like runs around. To be fair to him, I thought he was all right yesterday. I don't think he did that bad. It was, I mean, certainly I think he did better yesterday than either Guy or Furman did. I mean, Guy had a particularly good game. I don't think. Furman had a particularly good game. Um, Mellish still did the things that Mellish does reasonably well. In your kind of sort of 3-5-2, who are your midfield three then? So my midfield three would probably be, because I like Taylor Charters, so I'd put Taylor Charters in there. Uh, I'd give Callum Guy, because I think Callum Guy is like a Rolls Royce in this division. He can he can spread the ball around on his day. He's a good player. And... Um, Furman probably for the experience, if not Riley. Riley's just as capable of playing in that position in the midfield three. The idea of my midfield three, obviously, is for it to be more compact and for the for the uh, the wing backs to be your wingers, obviously. So the 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 midfield three wouldn't be getting pushed wide; they would be driven through the middle. You know, they'd they'd be focused behind it, (laughs) as it were. Um, But yeah, I feel like my yeah, I want charters, even Dick Dixon, Josh Dixon. Maybe uh, when he when, when he eventually gets himself back and ready and fit again to play back ready yeah. to play again, I think Dixon might be a good shout in that midfield role to have Dixon charters and maybe a, a guy or a Furman. Yeah, I mean, I think I wouldn't drop Riley because I think he's the more forward-thinking player of our kind of like the you know the midfield options that we've got. I mean, based on that, where do you go next season? Because the squad that we've got at the moment is a squad that was designed for 4-3-3. If we kind of start going 3-5-2, then we're in a situation where we've not enough defenders and we've too many forwards. That's true. Before we start looking ahead to next season, because I do, I will want to talk a little bit about that. Before we start doing that, we'll yeah. finish off 
finish off talking about this game, um, and we'll just we'll just talk about that goal, mate. To be honest, you know the the sort of last minute absolute deflator. Farman comes off his line. It's a rare mistake. He doesn't normally misjudge things this poorly, but on this occasion, he was caught in no man's land. He shouldn't have came off his line. The ball wasn't really that threatening. It was going wide to the to the sort of right hand side. It would have taken a lot for the attacker to bring it under to, to bring it under control if the goalkeeper was actually on his line. And maybe a defender could have came in and because there was a Carlisle defender who was visibly frustrated at the fact that Farman came off his line and he let Farman know about it. He threw his arms up in the air and pointed his fingers at Farman. Yeah. I, won't, I won't name names. Was that Rhys Bennett? Oh, well, you'll name names. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know... I don't know if Reese Bennett was that player. I know Reese Bennett was maybe the player who could have got to the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was there was some visibly frustrated uh, defenders. Let's say uh, in the post-match interview afterwards, Chris Beach was asked about Far- Farman's reaction in the dressing room, and Chris Beach quite firmly said that Farman isn't to be trifled with, and no one would really say anything to him. <laughs> I don't think that's really a very good question to ask Chris Beach anyway because, you know, there's nothing really Chris Beach can tell you if you ask him about Furman having made this mistake. You can't entirely coach mistakes out of a player. You know, sometimes they happen and in a game like this where we've kind of been poor throughout the game, then a mistake's going to be a lot more costly than it would be in a game where we're kind of playing much better and we may be kind of one or two up by that point no it's just one of those um that's football kind of answers do you know you can't you can't give much more than that's that's football you know that's that, that's just part of that one uh, so yeah i mean that was the only goal of the game before that happens Wilkinson, the goal scorer, did look like the most threatening player on the pitch for Leighton Orient. Mm. He had uh, a touch of class in uh, around the 60th minute where he, he took the ball away from Bennett and then Hayden and then had sort of like a half volley and almost took it over Farman. Uh, six foot two, playing on the right attacking side. He was a force to be reckoned with. He looks like he's a cut above this league. And the reason I'm going to say that is because I signed him on Football Manager for Barrow and he's great. <laughs> oh, he would be a <laughs> Arrow. <laughs> he, does a great, he does a great job. <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. Uh, Wilkinson and Adibo Akinfenwa were my two signings of the summer. <laughs> we're doing. We're not doing badly. We're, do, we're having a good season. How do you manage to get Akinfenwa a barra? <laughs> I sold. I sold everybody and gave him nothing but compliments for a month. <laughs> <laughs> Just in the press, like, praise player, praise player, praise player. <laughs> Just in case anyone wants to know any cheats to football manager, if you can get a player to like you, it's a lot easier to sign Just them. Just praise your players a lot. <laughs> that's it, mate, that's it, that's it. Yeah. Well, I think, I, go on. I think Chris Beach does that. <laughs> I, say, I think Chris Beach does that, but he doesn't seem to be working at the moment. No, it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, so, I mean, that's about it as far as the late Orient games go. Uh, there wasn't... Wasn't a lot to be said about the actual game itself. Like I said, Wilkinson was a danger man. Uh, Carlisle with a lot of aimless long balls. The standout performer for us was Zanzala. He just never really gave up. And it was an interesting side note that you mentioned there about there being no substitutions on the day, even though we had quite a strong bench. Mm. You know, it's, that's, that's a very strange move. So if I was one of those players sitting on the bench and didn't get to come on, would I be happy with my manager? Is it going to cause more friction? I think yeah, it, I think it might. 
I think it might. Be. I mean, Joe Riley. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you know, you look at Joe Riley, who I, I don't know if the reason he was dropped was because he was kind of seen to have played a lot of football and needed a rest. But at nil nil, with the game kind of seeming to be petering out and without us offering much, you know, that's the kind of point where you'd think get Joe Riley on or get Omari Patrick on. And, you know, we didn't do that. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised. It's not the first time he's, he's either made no substitutions or maybe only one or two and made them really late on. And you, you kind of, like, think with this Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday schedule that we've got going on at the moment that, it you know, it's going to be very important for us to use our squad. And we're not really doing that at all. And it's a bit of a mystery as to why. I can't really fathom it at all. I mean, for me, I've got to stop. This is my new catchphrase, Will. For me, <laughs> um, Anderton coming back into the squad for uh, Tanner was obviously a change to sort of keep fresh legs. And also, if you've got Anderton as your official captain, you've got to try and put him back into the first team. I mean, what kind of mayhem is that going to cause in your dressing room when your captain's not even anywhere near the first team for three or four games in a row? So seeing Anderton back in the team didn't exactly give anybody a lift of inspiration. It does look like we're getting towards the time of year where we don't have a lot of options and we should start looking towards next season and um, in preparation for that I had a little look on uh, transfermarket.com I'm going to give those guys that's this is where my information is coming from to have a look at what Carlisle players are actually signed up for the 2022 season and uh, which players are obviously, um, so far at least, queued up to leave us. There's only four or five players that have signed up for a two-year contract. One of those is Magnus Norman. Uh, Rod McDonald is signed up as well. He's currently suspended. George Tanner is signed up. I think that's a good sign-in to get signed over for two years. And uh, there's one more. Brennan Dickinson is also signed up till 2022. Um, I believe there's a number of players with options to uh, stick around next year. But how many of these players would you want to stick around next year, to be completely honest? Um, I am definitely getting to the point where I want to see some young lads given the opportunity. I want to see Chedwin Scott given more of an opportunity. He's only on a contract until the end of the year. He hasn't been given a fair opportunity to prove what he can do at this level. What do you think, Will, going into... The last 10 games of this season, shaping up your team and trying to obviously push for those playoffs next year. What do you do? Do you stick with Chris Beach and you, you do you rely on his resources over the next summer to bring in more recruits? Because these recruits haven't worked out fantastically well, to be completely honest. And he's been here nearly two seasons now. So uh, where do you go from here, mate? Where do you go from here? I mean, this is the question that's been driving me mad ever since we started you know, ever since we dropped out of the playoff contention, is are the players that we've got still good players? Is the is the fall away, or you know, is our lack of form down to just a lack of quality in the squad, or is it down to other things that are maybe related to the? Uh, January that we had where we didn't play many games uh, training pitch I think we weren't able to train outdoors and then we had players with Covid and you know at at one extreme you could say that 
that those things that happened in January, a combination, a sort of perfect storm of things, I would maybe say that that the way you know the the high tempo football that we played, we were always likely to have a bit of a struggle for form in the second half of the season, not being able to kind of keep those fitness levels up. Um, if fi- over fifty percent of the players had COVID, we we still don't know um how you know how that could have be affecting their fitness now uh we don't really know how much training was impacted by frozen pitches and match sharpness and kind of it could be that each of those things individually might have affected our form a little bit but the fact that they all happened together affected our form a lot in addition to the fact that there's kind of psychological things such as momentum and morale, and once those things go, then it's very hard to turn them around. That's one argument. The other argument is that we were just overachieving in the first half of the season. Um, the players that we were saying were like the best players in the, you know, the best players in their positions in the division first half of the season aren't actually that good. You know, and Chris Beach himself isn't actually that good. And, you know, we potentially need changes. Not sure if I think we need to change the manager, but um, that we need different players if we're going to challenge for promotion next year. And I would probably say that we're somewhere in the middle of those two extremes. And I cannot decide for the life of me whereabouts we are between the none of it's our fault and it's all our fault kind of scenario i i would like to see <laughs> i would certainly like to see us have more strikers who can score goals i think that's a that's definitely a big one for me um but other than that there are lots of players that we've got in the squad that i think if we had them still next season could you know could still be good next season i'd i'd kind of want to know what chris beach is going to do next season in terms of how we play uh, because i think you you know you've said it yourself we were playing really well when we were pressing teams hard and just kind of dominating teams and dominating them in midfield as well and we never passed back and we never passed sideways in defence uh, you know the likes of bennett and hayden pretty much never passed to each other at all and um, there was a there was a map that i saw there was of uh, kind of like the passes that we made and passes out of defense were just straight into midfield or straight into attacking midfield not fully direct we weren't lumping it but we were getting the ball forward quickly and now we kind of we are lumping it a lot and we are kind of passing it around and passing it back to the keeper a lot and is that because Chris Beach has no plan B? I don't know. He's talked a lot about Sam Allardyce being uh, one of his inspirations, and I hoped that he would be, you know, because he's younger and he'd have his own ideas, and he did. Uh, but you know, when things turn tough, is he maybe kind of like retreating into Allardyce mode? I think they're fair comments. I really do. I'm not. I'm not there yet to say Beach out. I'm not. Um, but it's hard not to um, at least yeah. wonder what might happen uh, if Beach did leave and maybe what kind of candidates are out there uh, and achievable for Carlisle to be able to bring in. 
Uh, we assume that because the board have some money through uh, the Braithwaite transfer, through Henderson's uh, injection of money every time he plays for Man United, that if, if we wanted to, we could go out and get a pretty experienced manager, which we haven't done in a while. We haven't had a 20-season uh, like manager, 15-season manager in a while. Um, on the top of my list of candidates, if Beach was to go... I'd love to see Paul Simpson back at Brunton Park, mate. I really would. He's the assistant at Bristol City at the moment. He was the caretaker for a short amount of time. He wasn't given the job. He's not Nigel Pearson's uh, natural choice to be his assistant coach. And I think uh, if we used a little bit of money that we've got left over from those transfers and etc., I think we could entice Paul Simpson back to Brunton Park. And with Paul Simpson comes his endless contact list from his under-20s England job. So I think that'd be a really good uh, sign-in to bring in. It's a smart one, but am I just dreaming, mate? Am I just in dream mode right now? Is this just, is this just nothing? Is this just not going to happen? I don't know. I mean, the only thing with Paul Simpson is that he hasn't really succeeded in club football other than when he managed us. And since then, I don't think he's really done enough that I would class him as an experienced manager. His He's now an old manager and he's done really well uh, managing England under-20s. Yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd probably have doubts about whether Simo would be a good appointment if available for that reason. Just that if you actually just look at his relevant experience of managing at club level in the lower two divisions... The, the, there's not really that much of it and it's not really getting us any more experience than if we than appointing someone like Chris Beach who's been around but as an assistant manager yeah true I can accept that um, I'm also I'm a big fan of Harry Kuehl like I've mentioned in the past just as a player not necessarily as a manager it'll be fun to see him knocking about Tesco's <laughs> in Carlisle getting his weekly shopping in and stuff like that that'll be a fun appointment not necessarily for the club but for for me and and uh, just for me to be able to meet Harry Kuehl one day that'll be really nice Will gonna look forward to uh, to next week's games on the Saturday we're going to play Cambridge United who are second in the league and on the Tuesday we've got Crawley Town who sit above us in 10th Carlisle versus Cambridge are you as scared as I am to be facing the uh, the second highest team in the league even though they're on they're, they're, they've won the last two games actually I've just checked it now they're on they're on quite a good run of form as well <laughs> Yeah, they keep dropping away slightly and then coming back Cambridge. And I think a lot of that is because of Paul Mullin. Uh, Paul Mullin, Wes Houlihan and Joe Ironside. Uh, kind of like three players who are making things happen at Cambridge, even when the rest of the team don't always look like championship chasers. You know, they've just got that quality and experience in the right areas of the pitch in the exact areas where we're lacking in it um yeah i i, I fear that we're going to get mullined by cambridge um they've also got jack iredale so he's gonna score if i had to pressure for an actual prediction an actual result what are you gonna say i'm gonna go with one nil to cambridge mm-hmm. okay mullin 
That's fair enough. I'm going to say 1-0 Carlisle, because as per tradition on the Blue Army podcast, I will never predict that Carlisle will lose, no matter how yes. bad our form gets. So it <laughs> looks like I'm going to be giving out a lot of 1-0 to Carlisle predictions uh, for a while. <laughs> So I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna say one nil to Carlisle and Chedwin Scott the ball comes in off his ass and ends up in the back of the goal in the 90, 98th minute of the game with eight minutes of injury time played because <laughs> right now my predictions are worth squat so why not I was going to say can you predict how many substitutions we'll make Oh that's a fun game yeah uh, <laughs> out of the four possible substitutions it could be up to five that's it oh sorry five yeah up. Oh, Five you can make. That's it, that's it. There's, so what are the rules again, sorry? You can have four stoppages in play, but make five changes. So you have to make three. two changes in one three. substitution. Three, cha- so three stoppages. Can, yeah, three. And you're allowed five subs. Yeah. Right, okay. That's Right, okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, so if you make all five subs, it has to be one, two and two, or one, one and three. Yeah. Or just five. You can't stop the game five times is basically what the crack is, yeah. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Um, I'm going to say, mate, um, I'm going to say there's going to be four substitutions on Saturday against Cambridge. I'm going to go with two. You're going to go with two? Okay, this is more exciting than the score results at the moment. (laughs) I'm going to be keeping more of an eye, more of an eye on who comes off the bench. Um, (laughs) Carlisle, Carlisle versus Crawley Town. Crawley Town have drawn and lost in their last two games, but before that have been on really good form. Crawley Town are known uh, known, uh, for conceding goals. Um, They've conceded quite a lot of goals, more goals than us this season. So uh, you've got to fancy us to at least score a goal against Crawley Town. I'm obviously going to say we're going to win. I'm going to say 2-0. Oh. I'm going to give them uh, one to Zanzala and one to Dickinson. What are you saying about Carlisle versus Crawley, Will? Crawley had Max Waters. They've not scored as many goals since he left. Uh-huh. Um, but they are still, I think, a decent attacking team. Uh, I think we can maybe win. I'll go, I'll go 2-1, you know, be a little bit... Um, optimistic and here's the frustrating thing with you know the matches that we've got coming the position that we're in in the league with the games in hand if we weren't on such bad form you'd still you'd still back us to get into the playoffs because the games in hand we've got if we're winning those you know we're kind of making up you know we're closing that gap on the playoffs and it's it's frustrating being in this position and knowing that you that the form that you're on you can't really back us to get into the playoffs where it's like so close yet so far. If we win against Crawley, then I think it's it's going to be another thing that'll just frustrate us more in the long run because we'll inch closer again. We'll... Yeah, I, yeah, I understand that. That's fair enough. I mean, it's not over yet. It isn't, is it? It's it's not over yet. There's still a chance that we can make the playoffs. The form has been awful. I think that's why a lot of people are maybe asking for Beach out because they think a new manager can come in and rescue the playoff campaign and maybe help us like juggernaut our way back into the playoffs. I don't think that's really what would happen if a new manager came in. I don't think they would be expected or given the pressures of, of pushing back into the playoff position from when we are now. I don't think that would be a fair um, ask of any candidate yeah. if they were to take the job. Uh, as far as substitutions go against Crawley, <laughs> I think um, I think we're going to see three substitutions against Crawley. What about you? I'm going to go all five. I'm going to make oh, five. 
I Chris Beach will have gotten to the point. Chris Beach will have gotten to the point where he's like McFive. Let's let's get let's get everyone on. Maybe <laughs> Coyote will be back by then, so we'll have more players. We'll have a stronger bench if Coyote's back. That's true. That's very true. That's very true, mate. Well, on that massive bombshell of a prediction, I haven't seen any decent news this week either. To be honest, Will, unless you've got anything. Uh, to mention that you might have seen in passing from the News and Star or Carlisle News-wise or anything like that? Carlisle, just our League 2 as a whole. I mean, because the only thing that's happened in League 2 is that Salford have sacked their manager again. Wellins, was it? Apparently uh, apparently Gary Neville had quite the, tear- yeah. the tearful goodbye for one of his old friends. Apparently it was a very emotional well, meeting. playing at, like... I don't know. I don't know. Didn't he just win... Didn't, I mean, didn't he just win the Johnson's pain? Yeah. And that's... It's the second time this season they've sacked their manager while being... Are they in the top ten? I think they are. Yeah. I think they were when they sacked Alexander as well. So, you know, and obviously it's not good enough for them, the amount of money that they've spent. Mm-hmm. They expect to be right up there and they'll, and they'll keep sacking managers after six months or something if they don't get you know if they don't get into the top 10 how is that supposed to work you know the you know they maybe want to look a bit closer to home if they want an answer to the question of why are they not walking away with the title I think they've already got someone lined up for the Salford job which is why they've keen to, I think most of the time Salford oh they've already appointed someone who have they got um, Gary Bowyer. Gary Bowyer, bloody hell. <laughs> Gary Bowyer. He's been round long enough, hasn't he, Gary Bowyer? I would have thought, I would have thought they would have given uh, Roy Keane a job until the end of the season, at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but can you imagine uh, Gary Neville, Phil Neville, um, Nicky Button stuff? trying to decide who gets to tell Roy Keane that he's sacked <laughs> in six true. months' time. Uh, Roy Keane's notoriously um, poor at working with lower league players as well. He's, he just can't deal with the poor standard of football at, at that kind of lower t- lower league level. It's just frustrations build too much. The Part of the reason he yeah. uh, he wasn't doing great in uh, like Ipswich was because he would he would take the ball during training and just scream at them, do this! And they were just incapable of pinging those 40-yard cross balls across the pitch and it was just like staring him down like I mean that's similar to Keith Curl oh true true. it's it's similar to some of the criticisms that we had of Keith Curl Mm -hmm. Keith Curl had what three England caps under his belt he was quite you know he was a big player back in day yeah just players who've played at the highest level and sometimes don't seem to understand why the players that they're managing at this level can't do the things that they did when they were a player. Um, apparently, um, Gary Bowyer is on loan to Salford from Derby. What is he? Make what is he that like what you will. So they are... <laughs> Wayne Rooney's assistant. Yeah. They've loaned an assistant manager. <laughs> I've never heard of that before, Will. I've never heard of a team loaning in a manager. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. That's a a new one. That's a new one. And you know what? To steal a phrase off Top Gear, and on that bombshell, I'll see you next time, Will, mate. That's enough from (laughs) me and you for one week. Um, I'm going to hand over to Jamie Jackson. Thanks for having me on, Liam. Yeah, no worries, Will. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. We're going to hand over to Jamie Jackson from the Prawn Sandwich Podcast, and he's going to tell you all about the Prawn Sandwich Podcast. And we'll see you next week, won't we, Will? 
We will. Hopefully <laughs> with better news. <laughs> That's it, mate. Hopefully. Hopefully with better news. Me and Will will see you next week, so bye for now. Bye. Bye. All right, Mara, it's me, Skelly. Just before I hand over to Jamie Jackson from the Prawn Sandwich Podcast for the loud and local feature, uh, I just want to say thank you very much. This has been episode 10. It's been so much fun uh, so far to get to episode 10. I appreciate everybody for following, liking, clicking buttons, hitting other buttons and and uh, commenting on different pages it means a lot to me uh, the idea obviously is to is to keep going forward to get stronger to get better hopefully get some interviews in the bag for when the season finishes so you've got all that to look forward to and uh, in order to get interviews we need a way in and uh, sometimes a good way in is to have a really good following so if you're not following us on facebook instagram and now on youtube Please do, please jump on all of those because these guys, when we approach them for interviews, they do check our numbers and uh, they want to know if it's going to be worth the time. And obviously it's going to be worth the time talking to you amazing people. I really enjoy doing it, but we need to convince these guys to come in and talk to us. So if you get a bit more loud and a bit more proudful about the podcast, pass on the pod and all that good stuff. Surely we're going to go from strength to strength and you guys are going to end up getting a much, much better show because of it. So, yeah, thank you very much for listening to this uh, little outro from me, Skelly. Just thanking you all, really. And I'm going to pass over to Jamie Jackson from the Prawn Sandwich podcast for the Loud and Local segment. This has been the Blue Army podcast. I have been your host, Skelly. We've had Wills on the show today and we'll have him back next week to see if any of our predictions were right. Send in your predictions, Instagram. We've got an email address. It is thebluearmypod at gmail.com. Okay, that's enough from me. Cheers then. All right, Mara, bye for now. Hello, everybody. I'm Jamie from the Prawn Sandwich Podcast, which I host with my good friends Dylan McKenzie and Nathan Cupid. We cover all sorts of football topics each week, including player profiles, we look back at all tournaments, we review football films, we discuss football manager saves, and we welcome guests from any football background, no matter what club you support. You can find us on Acast, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. There's a YouTube channel, we're on Twitter, at Prawn Podcast, and we're on Instagram, at Prawn underscore Sandwich, so if you find us on there, give us a follow please, and check out what we do. Um, here's a little clip from when we reviewed the horrendous football film, Goal. <laughs> so then it's, it's the moment where like, oh yeah, he's done Zunia last week for the fourth game and he was over that moon. And then, uh, and then like, oh, he's not a dickhead, he really did like Santiago. Oh, so then the film, then Glenn Foy comes from, ah, the from, from nowhere, the from the executive. Well, that's what I was. Adam Friel and Glenn Foy managed to. Was he spotting on the phone? Yeah. 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 On managed Nokia to get 33 10 or something. They managed to get pitch side and onto the pitch from a private box. Doesn't even work for the club. Breaking yeah. all kinds of safety guidelines. He's got on the pitch with a phone and they. Hold on a minute, man. Like, and then. Oh, by the way, Dad was at the game and. Oh, this is the worst bit of cinema. I, and it's Ever. the last bit of the film. Uh, yeah. It's the last scene. So he gets given this phone, 
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.